been Come broken hearted Let rescue begin Come find your mercy Oh sinner come kneel Earth has no sorrow That heaven can't heal Earth has no sorrow That heaven can't heal Let's revisit Sabbath, but let's do point out that at least for me, um, a loss or a decline in productivity is, is a practice at death because it's uh, productivity is, is the universal sort of means of valuing one another. I mean, it cashes out in dollars a lot, but it cashes out in fame, it cashes out in other ways, but it's t you know to be productive, to produce. Um, even some of our language around purpose in religious community, I worry sometimes because there are people for whom purpose is as far away as the moon, and yet are they less for that? So so Sabbath seems to me like the built-in, I mean, it's just a tonic. It's a weekly tonic. It's built into the teaching, built into the fabric of the universe that once a week you're supposed to quit being good for anything. Um, but your creatureliness and perhaps also pleasure. I mean, that's the thing about Sabbath is the pleasure of no work but plenty of food and company for dinner um, and all the rest of it. But I tell you, if you live in the Sabbath for a while, it's a little death. It's a little day on which you can't earn anything and don't buy or sell. And there's some real, um, gosh, it makes you almost faint for a while to give up all the things that keep you propped up the rest of the week. So, so I've always thought there's a kind of yin and yang to Sabbath. You know, people flock to it for the rest part, the hammock part. But once they get into it, there's the looking into the night sky part, which is, why am I here? Just a light, breezy question laid in front of us this morning by Barbara Brown Taylor. But it's kind of an important one, right? Why are you here? I know there will be many sermons preached in churches this morning on the healings of Jesus in today's gospel or on Simon's mother-in-law, which, let me tell you, I could do a whole sermon on how rude it is that they healed her just to make her serve them food. But I'm not going to go there today. But I could. And also other sermons about how Jesus heals all these people and then tells them why he's there. This will all be preached somewhere today. People who are on the lectionary are preaching sermons just like this. And while they will all be good, I don't quite think they're the sermon for us. They're definitely not the sermon for me. When someone asks, hey, how are you? How's it going? Our usual response is fine or good. I preached a whole sermon on this a while ago. And lately, a lot of us have added one more word to that. We add busy. We say, I'm good, I'm good, I'm busy, but I'm good. Anyone said something like that lately? Yeah, 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 me too. Uh, busy is almost an expectation for us now, isn't it? It's just kind of the way things are. And as Barbara said in the video, we value productivity so much in our society. Our, our busyness is sort of a way we can catalog how we're doing, that we're doing something to contribute or something to define ourselves as worthy. Like we're working really hard in order to earn good things. 
Now, Paul's letter to the Corinthians, which Stacy read, is such a classic Paul letter with like run-on sentences that repeat themselves 12 times. So good job, Stacy. It's not an easy text to read. Um, when it's read through this lens of our need to be busy, it takes on kind of a new meaning. Because I've always read this verse as sort of a do what you need to do and be who you need to be in order to communicate God to as many different kinds of people as possible. And it used to really feel to me like a call to action, like get to it, you've got this, team Jesus, right? Like it's really motivating and encouraging and moving. It just kind of sends you out. But it's only recently that this very same call to action has felt a little different. Paul says he became a Jew to win the Jews and became as one under the law to win those under the law. And he became as one outside the law to win those outside the law and weak in order to win the weak. And then he says this line, I have become all things for all people. And oof, does that just sound so exhausting to anybody else? Now, his motivation was good. He wasn't doing this for fame or for notoriety. But he says he's doing it for the sake of the gospel, that he may share in its blessings with as many people as possible. And that is noble and lovely and powerful. But also, who can do this? Who can really be all things to all people? Who can live up to such a command? I find two things helpful as I read Paul today. He says... He is all things to all people so that he might connect with some. That he might make God known to some. Not all. And this is such a good reminder to me that no matter what I do, it is God that will meet people where they are. And God, yes, will work through me, but it is not solely up to me to save the world or save everybody in it or do all of the things. Thank goodness, right? Also, I also find it really helpful to remember that talking to people about God was Paul's full-time job. He didn't have another job to do. He also didn't have a spouse or children or pets or a house or a car. He could be all things to all people because that was his job. So we can take a little breather and thank goodness we're not Paul. He has time to do this. And this brings us back to the idea of productivity. See, in today's gospel, we pick right up where we left off last week with Jesus growing in fame and notoriety throughout the area. He was in Capernaum still, and he had left the synagogue where, remember last week, he amazed all who were gathered around him. And so he's getting kind of busy. People are bringing all of their sick and their hurting to him. Verse 33 says, the whole city was gathered outside their door. Those words paint quite a picture, don't they? A whole city's worth of people around the doorway to one small home. All hoping to see Jesus, to receive some sort of healing. You may not have noticed, but this said at sundown. This is when all these people came to see Jesus at sundown. And the implication here in this text is that Jesus spends the whole night long healing people, listening to them, being with this crowd. 
If we're talking solely productivity here, Jesus is winning. And then the gospel said in the early hours of the morning, before the sun has even risen, Jesus leaves the crowd and goes to pray by himself. Notice how when the disciples finally find Jesus, after they've been frantically looking for him for a while, and they say, everyone's looking for you, Jesus. There's so much more work to do. Jesus responds with, let's move on to the next town. That's what I'm here for. See, they want him to stay and keep doing more healing right where he was, and Jesus says, no, you know what? I, I, I remembered what I'm here for. It's this other thing. We need to get going. This is what I'm here for. Notice how Jesus doesn't say that line after he preached and taught in the synagogue. Notice how he didn't say that after he had this great meal with Peter's family. He didn't even say that after a whole night of healing people. You'd think he'd be feeling pretty great after that, right? Look at all these people I healed. I'm here for this. He said, this is what I'm here for. After going off by himself and praying for a while. After a time of rest, of renewal, of reconnecting to God. It's almost like that time away from the busyness helped Jesus remember who he was and helped remind him why he's here. See, when we go and go and go and go, we lose our focus. It's easy to just get so busy with our to-do lists and daily lives that we forget why we're here. It's hard. I get it. But if Jesus, the Son of God, has to take time to refocus and reconnect and renew, then I'm pretty sure we should probably at least try. Now, taking time off is as Barbara said in the video, a loss of productivity. And we don't really like that feeling. Notice how we often ask those around us, hey, what would you do today? What you're kind of asking there is, hey, how did you add to society? Did you increase your value to the world? Remember this phrase, we're not human doings, we're human beings, right? Sabbath Time apart for rest asks us to reflect on who we are, who we have been created to be, not what we do. See, that's what Jesus did. He took time away, time to be. Sabbath, real Sabbath does this. It is a day where we can't earn anything. It's a day filled with only things that bring us life and joy and remind us who we are. This is so hard for some of us. If you are a doer, Sabbath feels a little like failure, like you're lazy. Maybe some of you felt this before. You spend your day off getting things done instead of just taking time to be, right? Barbara said it so well when she said, when you stop producing, it feels like death, a little uncomfortable. We don't like it. But in the kingdom of God, new life follows death every time. 
And you can't experience new life unless you experience a little death. Sabbath is a gift. Yes, it's a commandment to remember the Sabbath and keep it it holy is one of our Ten Commandments, but it is a gift from God to us. We've sort of forgotten this along the way and turned this beautiful Hebrew word into going to church, which is not what it means at all. Shavath is this Hebrew word for Sabbath. It means three separate things. It means cease. It means rest. And the third, celebrate. So when we participate in Shavath, we cease our work, we cease our productivity, we take time to rest and renew, and then we go and celebrate who we are created to be. It's time to go look at the world God created with awe and ask that big question that we just don't give ourselves time to ask. Why am I here? Sabbath is a gift. It's one that Jesus shows his disciples over and over and over again. He knew how easy it is to let yourself be defined by what you do and what you get done rather than who you are. In Mark 6, after Jesus teaches his disciples how to do the things he's doing to heal and to cast out demons, he sends them out to do the work. And after a day of doing this work, he calls them back and he says, hey, come and rest. He sees their need. He sees they're kind of running on empty and he invites them to join him in a good, peaceful Shabbat. Now, Jesus doesn't tell them that they're burning out. He doesn't say, my ever favorite, oh, you're looking tired. He doesn't even command them to do it, go and rest. But instead, probably knowing that this ragtag group of disciples will dig their heels in and be oppositionally defiant if he tells them what to do, he simply invites them to join him in this space. So I don't know where you're at this morning, but it is pretty likely that you're tired. There have been some memes going around on the internet about January being the longest month, right? There was one that said, it feels like today is January 74th. Did anybody see that one? It's very funny. And also there was another one going around that said, January was a hard year, but we made it, (laughs) which I also think is funny. It's just such a long month, and it felt hard in many different ways this year. So we come into this first Sunday in February feeling tired from working, from fighting, from sadness, from illness, from doing. We're just tired. A life measured by productivity is exhausting. And we've got to give ourselves some time to rest and sit in who we are. Some time to renew our strength, to regain our perspective, and to remember who we are and why we're here. In her video this morning, Barbara says that we begin to learn who we are after we've taken this time to rest, but then start looking at the sky, the place that gives us the image to ask big questions. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to just take a few minutes right now 
and look at the sky and ask ourselves, why are we here? <laughs>